This is a main hustle media podcast. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, as always, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And before we jump into episode six, I do have probably about four or five announcements to make. Uh, I realized that I have failed to share my personal social media handles with everybody every week. I I do ask my guests to share them, and of course, I share the Militantly Mixed stuff, uh, but I was asked about it, so I'm going to put it out here for y'all. If you are interested in following me directly on Twitter or Instagram, I am at Mixed Girl Maine, M-A-N-E. If you follow me there, expect to see a whole bunch of pictures of my five cats who are all named for Star Wars Extended Universe characters, Dark Side, of course. And um, and if you want to follow me on Facebook, I, I have a public page, which is facebook.com slash Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And of course, please continue to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed for the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whichever uh, platform you are currently getting your podcast. Because if you do all three, which is subscribe, rate, and review, you increase the chances that our podcast is going to be pushed up so other people can see that we exist. And the more people that are listening, the longer we can keep this going. Uh, Militantly Mix is a listener-sponsored podcast. With the help of our listeners, we can keep growing and improving. If you do wish to sponsor us, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed, where you can sponsor us as low as a dollar a month to as high as you wish. There are various levels of sponsorship, uh, different swag and content that you'll have access to at the different levels. And within a few weeks, uh, we will have our one-time donation button available on our website, which is currently still under construction. So I'll keep you posted on that. But yes, please consider sponsoring us and help keep us going on uh, on the air, help keep improving our equipment, or maybe even getting to the point where I can hire someone who's actually skilled in editing and not my goofy little butt. So, so yeah, independent podcasts need the support of their listeners. And if you don't mind helping us out, you'll keep us going and keep us improving. Okay, on to episode six. I am I'm really excited about this guest. She is actually the only the second person that I know in meat space uh, that I've talked to for the show. Uh, she is a stand up comedian. Her name is Marie Wachke. She and I were in a comedy sketch writing class a couple months back at the Ruby Theater in Los Angeles, which is formerly the Nerdist School. We were in a group of eight students half of us were white, half of us were POC, and she and I were the only mixed race ones. Uh, we pretty much bonded from the first day of class, and she's just she's one of the sweetest people that you're going to meet. Uh, what I really enjoyed about having the class with her is that she would occasionally write sketches from like the 80s nostalgia, 80s kid nostalgia perspective, which um, it was funny because she's not from that time period. She's she's early 20s. So it kind of that kind of stuff passed her by. But I think she mentioned once that she saw something on Netflix and it was like 
gem in the holograms or Voltron or Thundercats or something like that. And she exclaimed it in excitement. And uh, myself and the teacher were the only ones that were grew up during that time. And so, you know, we got the references and it was just it was nostalgia for us, but it was like a discovery for her. And it was just adorable. So you'll see you'll you'll be able to hear uh, how how sweet she is um, when we when we jump over. Uh, but she is uh, from a Filipino and white ethnicities from a military family and the conversation that we have talks a lot about the the conflict we cover the conflict that those of us that are mixed with white tend to feel about like the colonization of our blood <laughs> um it's a it's a topic that she and i talked about quite a bit during the class that we took to together so i knew that i had to get her on the show once once we wrapped up the class uh, so that we can talk about it because we'd had so many conversations about that. And especially for those of us with military families, I think, you know, some of you who come from military families will have that same feeling, which is that, you know, our fathers and our grandfathers actually go to these other countries, they're stationed in these other places, they bring back these, you know, yellow and brown wives and make them assimilate here, raise these mixed race kids. And then there's the question of, you know, well, what are we now? Are we white? Are we, you know, these other races from these places that we come from? And as you'll hear from the episode, sometimes we're still dealing with a racist white family member, even though they're the ones that married a, um, a brown or yellow wife and brought them over here. So it is a really it's a really good conversation. I do hope you enjoy it. But before we jump over to that, um, I did mention that Marie is a stand up comic here in Los Angeles, and she is producing a comedy show this week at the Ruby Theater, which is this Saturday, August 10th, 2018 at 10pm. The show is called Moral Support. It is a taped comedy show that is promoting comedians to kind of help get them on other shows. So if you're in LA this Saturday, August 10th, please come on down to the Ruby LA, which is formerly the Nerdist School. It's located at 7518 West Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. And for those of you that are from the area, if you're familiar with the Meltdown comic book store that shut down a couple months ago, it's right next door. It's If you're facing the Meltdown, it's to the left and it's got a big red ruby hanging from the outside of it. Really cute black Box Theater and, you know, come out and support Marie and the other comedians that are out there trying to push representation for POC, WOC, queer comics, in- intersectional comedy is what is going on over there. And just shout out to the Ruby. It's, uh, I've only taken one class there, but I am involved with some of the people there for other projects. And it is, it's an awesome little space. It's a feminist, inclusive theater space. There's classes, improv, uh, stand-up comedies, uh, sketch comedy. There are shows and performing groups. Sometimes they do workshops about sort of like the business side of, of being in this thing, you know, screenwriting, creating budgets, things like that. So it's it's a really good inclusive space. I can say from personal experience, I during my sketch class, I wrote an almost entirely race-based sketches. And some of them were kind of like dealing with pain that I had and, and trying to deal with it in a comical way. And I didn't hold back. I, I, I dealt with some ugly things. And with a, a space that was predominantly white, they were listening, they were getting it, and they were responsive in, in a way that seemed appropriate. So um, they, they're really doing good work over there. If you are in the area and you want to take some classes, and in, in improv or comedy or something like that. Um, I highly recommend the Ruby. I'm not getting paid for recommending them. I'm just um, I'm just a fan. So yeah, don't forget about Marie's show on August 10th. But yes, this was a great discussion that I had with Marie. I do hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is episode six: Same Colonizer, Wrong Country, with Marie Watchkey.
today I am joined by Marie Wachke, a wonderful woman that I met in a sketch class recently, and we bonded pretty quickly over both being mixed race. There are a few people of color in our group, but we are, I guess, I don't know, I would say we are the the mixed ones, the hybrids, if uh, based <laughs> off of how people describe us. And we race comes up a lot in our little group. Uh, thank you for joining me, Marie. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, why don't you give us a little introduction as to who you are and what your ethnic background is, and then let's get into it. Okay, uh, my name is Marie Wachke, as Charmaine already said. Um, I am a comedian, a writer, actor ish and um yeah we met in that sketch class which is really great my focus is really like comedy since I'm a comedian uh my ethnic background is my mom's Filipino like straight up and my dad is just a white dude from the midwest um and they met pretty stereotypically like he was in the military he was based in the philippines he met my mom fell in love and rushed into a marriage hmm. um and you know they moved to the united states they had me and my sister um and then my dad got out of the military and uh he he pretty much got out like without you know staying in for the full 20 so there's no benefits afterwards which really like tripped my mom out because she was like i did not sign up for this like hmm. i signed up for for a military man and you know <laughs> Uh, the secure the financial security and all that ish it was definitely like a situation where my mom was not expecting to work anymore mm. and then she was thrown into a situation where she became pretty much like the sole breadwinner and she really had to work like 10 times harder so oh, wow. um financial strains definitely like brought about the fact that like they don't really have anything in common like they're from completely opposite sides of the world literally not just like you know economically like white people in movies say mm -hmm. but like they're literally from completely different cultures. They have completely different values. Um, both of them are very, like, headstrong. My dad, like, doesn't recognize his racism. Mm -hmm. And so that was definitely, like, a point of contention. Like, he wouldn't accept her things. And then, like, my mom doesn't speak English that great. It's her second language. And so there was a lot of, like, miscommunication and frustration. Mm. Um, and then I have a younger sister, and she's also in the military now, which is, it's, you know, I... and. I, it's funny because I'm very like uh, leftist and uh, <laughs> anti-military, anti you know um, establishment really. Right. And uh, she's very much like in the military. And the only thing that I can say is like I'm happy that she feels good about herself and that she's able to take care of herself and her baby mm. and that that's it so but other than that it's like i'm not very i'm not supportive of the i'm not supportive of like the troops but i'm supportive of like one soldier like right. <laughs> independently yeah so yeah that's actually kind of an interesting thing when we when we sort of talk about our feelings about stuff like that my family is also military based family it's the reason why i'm as mixed as i am also um, <laughs> yeah my two american grandfather fathers were GIs and were stationed abroad during uh, the Korean War. So my Caucasian grandfather was stationed in Japan during the Korean War. My black grandfather, for some reason, was stationed in England around the same time. I have no idea why, but he met and married a white woman there. And my Caucasian grandfather married the Japanese woman in Japan. And so without the military, I would not be as mixed as I am. And we've maintained <laughs> yeah. being a military family for a long time. And yet I have this conflict of like, I understand that the military 
military is sort of a requirement of a, of a country in terms of protection. But what I'm not cool with is that it's mostly our 17 through 24 year old people of color and poor kids that are being sent Definitely. to these war zone places. So I, I, I have some feelings <laughs> uh, yeah. too about the military. Well, you know, like there's areas in which I understand it and there's areas in which uh, reform and correcting problems. I mean, I think I just saw something earlier today about a, a gay man that is being convicted um, and sentenced to death just because the jury decided that he would enjoy being in prison uh, oh for the rest of his life because he was gay. <laughs> That's uh, insane. Yeah, so there's some there's some definite issues with, with how I feel about that as well, while at the same time never not acknowledging that without it I wouldn't be Charmaine, I guess. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's definitely like one of like one of the things I've lived I'm like still grappling with is like you know how like and my dad brought it up before too because you know he's pretty conservative and pretty pro-military because like he was in the military his dad was in the military and um you know now my sister's in the military and um he would I remember I had a project in high school where we had to debate whether the U.S. should colonize the Philippines. And unfortunately, I was oh, on the shit. side of, yeah, I was on the side of pro-U.S. And my teacher, because we like just picked sides out of a hat. Oh, no. And at the time, and yeah, and it's crazy because at the time I was really conservative. And so when my teacher was like, oh, well, you, she was like, you don't have to, you know, debate the pro-U.S. side if you don't want to. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I? And then so you know, but like researching it, I was like, I, you know, it was like probably one of the first times where I had a crisis of conscience. Cause I was mm. like, wow, they're really like saying that these people can't help themselves, you know, and like all right. this stuff. And, you know, I would go to my dad for help with school assignments. And he was very much like, well, you know, if this had never, if the U.S. had never colonized the Philippines, you wouldn't exist. So maybe use that as like the reason why you defend it. And I was, and at the time I was like, yeah, that, okay, cool. But now I'm like, so what? Like, if right. I didn't exist, then millions of people wouldn't have gone through horrible torture and pain. Yeah. Am I really so, like, am I really so important that I would need, that I should defend this moment in history that caused so much pain and destruction right. that I should be alive? Like, it doesn't, it's like, I'm not happy that happened, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> I get like that, too, because I'm the product of teen parents, and I am one of those people who are just like, we don't need to teach abstinence in school, we need to teach safe sex practices, yeah. and we need to teach that abortion is okay if you are not yeah. prepared to be a parent. You know, not to be using it as birth control, but to be circumstances in which it makes sense, and when I try to argue for that, and the people are like, well, if abortion, like, abortion was just barely legal around the time that I was being born, and so, you know, there's still a lot of the, I mean, we still have some issues about it now but then people would say well if your mom had an abortion when she was 14 you wouldn't be here and I was like yeah, yeah. but also I wouldn't know I wasn't here exactly exactly and I exactly. wouldn't have had to suffer the problems of having teen <laughs> parents and an abusive dad and blah 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 yeah and yet all the while sure I'm glad I'm here but at what's what's the cost why is my life worth you know some of that insanity <laughs> just exactly. because of it and, and also it's like okay well what if your parents you know didn't have you then and 
and then they waited and then they had you at a better time for them financially, you know, emotionally, whatever, like, oh, great. You know, like, it's like, oh, I could have been born as I was. Or Mm -hmm. if we're going to talk hypotheticals, I could have been born in a happy home. You know, like why it's 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 all hypothetical. So it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it really doesn't. And that was my dad said the same thing to to me when we were fighting about abortion. And uh, he was like, well, you wouldn't exist. And I was like, and I, I didn't go this deep into it. But I was like, yeah, I wouldn't know that I didn't exist. So it wouldn't matter. But also I'm like, I'm, I have depression and I'm suicidal. So like, I want to die every day anyway. Like, Mm. just (laughs) like, you would have taken that out of the whole thing. Like, yeah. And it's also like trying to get like, if I was trying to turn it on him, it's like, okay, if my mom had an abortion for me and my sister, you would have been able to divorce my mom. And then you would have been happy for 20 years instead of Mm. sad for 20 years. So Mm. like, I don't know who you're trying to convince this was a good idea. Right. So this is something that we, we bonded over pretty early on when, uh, when we met was the discussion of the, the, your father in particular. And I mean, I think both of us sort of have issues where our fathers are concerned um, for different reasons, but Mm -hmm. the, the insensitivity that he seemed to exhibit based off of one coming from a place of privilege all the time when he talks to you and not being able to, I don't know if it's empathy or what, but not being able to put himself into understanding that he has mixed race children and that these children navigate a world that's a lot different than the way he navigates the world. And then a little bit too, and just that in terms of like your father basically does say things that are like, I am the colonizer type (laughs) type type thing. So like that is, uh, I think we both have talked about how much of a conflict it is to to be like proud of who we are proud of being mixed race people enjoy that we have this uniqueness that um you know a lot of the population doesn't have but at the same time having sort of internal issues and struggles with the fact that we are partially colonizer but since we do not benefit from uh the privilege that white people get because we look like others and quotation fingers we we can't really get on their side we can't really figure this out <laughs> like yeah. we don't know how to navigate that way um so that's one of the things we early talked about why don't we get into that a little bit about your your feelings about having the colonizers blood and not the colonizers privilege it's i i uh i have a lot of feelings i'm still trying to sort out my feelings like it's probably going to be like a lifelong process Mm -hmm. i assume to like try to sort these feelings out um but yeah like so when i was younger it was very much like i was on my dad's side because i couldn't really understand my mom and now like thinking back it's like my dad never he never really allowed me and my sister to connect with our mother like we never learned Tagalog um he like um you know would make fun of her for not speaking English and then you know if my mom would try to teach us some Tagalog words when I would remember things like you know uh she would you know say like oh you know how you say father in Tagalog is tatang so me and my sister trying to be cute and uh, embrace our heritage would try to call our dad that and my dad's like you don't call me that I'm your father you call me like we we speak basically we speak English in this household or you speak English to me and that kind of just like you know took the the air out of um us trying to you know talk with our mom yeah and so uh and um it's it, you know there's been a lot of like recent um realizations that a lot of the things my dad was was emotional manipulation and gaslighting and um 
basically making him always look like, oh, look, I'm the good guy. You can understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not yelling at you. You know, I'm I'm being the rational person and your mother's just being a crazy Filipino. And um, which is like really painful to think about. But um, right. And so now I'm you know, I'm trying to be more like, you know, I've accepted. I'm like, I'm a Filipino woman. You know, you know, I'm 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 not white. You know, the first time I realized that um, the first time I was being racially profiled and then I realized I was being racially profiled in that mm-hmm. instance was I was in college and it was funny because nobody nobody ever clocks me as Filipino they always clock they always think I'm like Latina like right. they're all they they're always like oh you're Mexican and I'm like no wrong like same colonizer wrong <laughs> country like it's <laughs> I understand your confusion um, and it also doesn't help that like my pair, you know, my mom's family, all their names are Spanish, you know, my mom's name right. is Maribel Mariano, like that doesn't sound Asian to people. Right. And um, so what happened was, you know, they have like those voter, like people trying to get you to sign petitions at like college campuses. And I was with my friend who's actually mm-hmm. Latina. And we were just sitting down talking and this guy comes up to us and he definitely has like some kind of um, he, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of like social skills when he comes up to us. And so he's like, hey, do you guys what are you registered in Orange County? Do you want to sign this petition? And we just do it just to get in the leave. And um, while he's talking to us, he's like, oh, so you guys live in uh, Santa Ana, which is predominant. Like I, I lived in Fullerton at the time. And mm. Santa Ana is a predominantly Latina population. Okay. And um, so he's like, oh, so you guys live in Santa Ana, not asking, but just like saying you guys live there. Right. And we're, we look at each other and then we look at him and we're like, no. And then he says, oh, so you guys live in Anaheim, which is like the next predominantly <laughs> Latino population. And we're just like, no. And then he's like, so where do you guys live then? Like, that's it. That's the only two places we could have lived right. in this whole county was Santa Ana or Anaheim. And we both look at him and we're like, Fullerton. And he was like, you guys, you mean here? And we're like, yes, we live here. We go this to school here. location that we're in right now. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're literally sta- standing here. Like, what? And then he was like, oh, okay. And he left. And I was just like, you know, it wasn't particular. It wasn't violent. It, w- I mean, it is violent because it was racist. But, but, you know, it wasn't like physically violent. I wasn't in any like physical danger. Right. But I was and just so angry. We're only just now starting to get used to the term microaggression and, and sort of the fallout from those types of ideas to, you know, being able to accept those microaggressions as violent or aggressive to a degree, even even as they sound passive or, or you know, there's no physical harm to you. The emotional harm, the impact to our mental health is, is a big deal. We all suffer re- weathering from the constant otherness, 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 and feeling less than human in the eyes yeah. of, of, the, of the privileged and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, you definitely are within your rights to have had that feeling, even though we may not have had the language to explain what it was that just happened to us in those times. Yeah. And, and so historically, you know, I always went to my dad whenever I had a problem because we would really like dive deep and talk about my emotions and our feelings Mm. and he would really validate. But that was when, you know, when I was younger and when I thought I was white and like, you know, uh, and it wasn't that I thought I was white, but it was like, you know, oh, my mom's Filipino, that, that type of thing. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, separating myself from who my parent that is designated as other. And um, so, you know, at this point in time, I'm in college, I'm starting to accept that, you know, I'm a woman, I'm... 
a Filipino. I'm a feminist. I'm actually a feminist. I'm actually pretty leftist. Like I'm not any of those things that I was in high school anymore. And, you know, I'm upset about what had just happened. I call my dad because he's the person that I would always go to. And he immediately doesn't get it. And I have to explain to him like five times what had happened to me. And he's like, oh, well, I don't understand. Maybe he just really thought you were. And I was like, yeah, but you know why he thought I was? Was because I look a certain way. That's why he thought that I lived there. He didn't ask. He just said, I live there. And then he asked when I exhausted all of his racist options. Like, and then my dad was like, oh, well, I don't think he meant that. And I was like, no, you were not there. Like, I just cut him off. I was like, you were not there. I know what he meant. Yeah. I know the ge- I know the politics of this location. I know the geographies of this location. Like, I know what he meant by that. And just and, maneuvering the world as a woman of color. Yeah. You are in more of a position to understand these things that are happening to you than a person who never has to have this experience. Exactly. And so I, you know, I... And my dad's like, oh, okay. You know, and he kind of backs down when I get mad at him. And then I just start crying. And I was like, he, you know, I was like, he, at, he said those things to me because he thought I was different. And so he was trying to make me feel different. Right. And then all my dad could say, which I feel is like something like any white parent might say, because that's just what they say to their kids. And it make it, it's true is, you know, he was like, you're not different. (laughs) And I just like yelled at him and I was like, but I am, I am different. Right. And, you know, and, and that shouldn't have been a reason for him to say those things to me. Like I am different, but I'm here. I belong. I go to school there. I belong there. Right. I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm not some, I shouldn't be somewhere else. And he just, my dad just did not understand. And he just kept trying to be like, you're not different. You know, you're, you're a great girl and you belong there. And I was like, okay, I don't need you to tell me this. And I just kind of like hung up. (laughs) I just like kind of hung up and I was just like, and that was really like the first rift between us. And I was Mm. like, wow, this is like, this is, unless he changes, this is not going to work out. Right. That's another interesting thing that I think that we experience um, as people of color, but I think uh, probably uniquely as mixed people is that white people or people that deal with sort of fair skin privilege will uh, occasionally say to us things that sound like allyship. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't see you as different. I just see you as you or I yeah. see you as human or whatever the things. And it sounds nice. But when you really break down what they're saying is I am choosing to identify you as closely to me as possible so that I can feel like I'm comfortable with your, you know, I don't have to acknowledge your difference. And therefore, I'm not really acknowledging you as a person or as an individual. And um, and this is just my comfort zone. This is where I'm going to sit. Exactly. And we, we sit there and go, oh, you know, that's nice. And then we say it again. So we're, you know, we're like inadvertently complicit in our own, in the prejudices that are uh, cast on us. You know, we don't realize that we're actually participating in it when we should be standing up in those moments and go, no, I I want you to acknowledge my difference or my uniqueness, not because I want you to other me, but because Mm -hmm. I want you to understand that I exist in the same space as you and you are not more entitled to this space than I am. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And uh, that took years. and, And honestly, I'm really only kind of forming that uh, that opinion or that position kind of now when I'm finally starting to get it. I'm like, oh, you know, I went through a phase I'm, you know, a bit older than you, so I went through the stuff where, like, I had my identity crisis, and then I felt like I knew who I was, and then something happened, 
and it threw me in my identity crisis again. And yeah. <laughs> I knew who I was. And, and uh, you know, at 40 years old, I feel like I know who I am. And yet there's still times in which I need validation in different ways that will kind of not throw me into an identity crisis, but throw me into the I need you to see me crisis part. You know, yeah. I need you to see me part of my identity. And here's the thing. I'm black. I'm Japanese. I'm white. I will never be seen as white. It doesn't matter that I'm yeah. half white. <laughs> if, you, if you add all the whiteness up, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to maneuver a space in which someone is like, hey, white girl, hey. You know, that's not going to happen yeah. to me. And, and while I do benefit from certain privileges, like having lighter skin or having straighter hair or, you know, seemingly less threatening from the white perspective where they are more intimidated by darker skin or different hair or whatever. While I do benefit from that kind of stuff, I don't want to. I wish I didn't because I want to, in the most positive sense of the word, I want to make white people uncomfortable because yeah. I want them to be <laughs> unsettled in their entitlement. I don't want them to feel that they own a space more than I do, more than you do, more than a dark-skinned person does, you know, a differently abled person, more than a little person, more than a LGBT, you know, like... Yeah. All of the things that make a cisgendered, privileged Caucasian feel safe, I want them to always feel a positive version of unsettled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just want to, like, I think it's just a matter of, like, we need, you know, I want to challenge them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... And it's, it's especially difficult with people who think that they've already been challenged and that they've, they've passed it. Yeah. Like, so I know people who, you know, my my dad is the king of, you know, but you know, I have a brown wife. I can't be racist. I have a black friend that I haven't talked to in 20 years. I can't be (laughs) racist. Like, right. It's, um, you know, I have brown daughters. I can't be racist. And it's like, well, the fact that you say you have brown daughters is like, that's already a problem. Like, yeah. And also it's like my dad used to do this thing. He he even did this thing like within the past year when I last visited him where, you know, I would be like, I was just saying something and I was like, yeah, because I'm Asian American or because I'm Filipino American. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Marie, you're just American. And I was like, no, I'm also Asian American. Yeah. Like I like. Like, yeah, but I'm Asian American. I can also be classified as Asian. Like, I can be different things. And then he was just like, and I was like, and I said, why do you do that? Like, when he was like, you're just American. I was like, why do you do that? And he was like, do what? And I was like, why do you always try to take away the fact that I'm Filipino? Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm not. And I was like, yeah, but you get mad when I say I'm Filipino American. And he's like, well, I just think that, you know, like, we're all American, so we should all just be American. Like, we don't have to segregate ourselves. And I was like, I'm not segregating myself. Other people have already done that for me. And I'm just class. I'm just embracing that I am also Filipino. Like, I'm like, I can be bold. And he's like, well, no one's saying you're not Filipino. And I was like, you just said I wasn't. You just did. Like, you just said I wasn't and that I'm just American. And... Yeah. And it's just like, what are you like? It, it It's weird. Like the just like the circular arguments and like the just it, it's like, why can't you just say sorry? Like, just say, sorry, I didn't realize what I was doing was racist. Right. Like, that's all you have to say. And it's like, OK, girl, like, it's fine. Yeah. Like everybody has. And I'm like, we are raised in America. We're going to have mm-hmm. racism, you know, even outside of America, like everybody has their own, every culture has their own prejudices and mm-hmm. racism, racism. And it, 
like it's just you're constantly trying to educate yourself and be better and it's okay to be like shit sorry I was racist like another thing is like when I was really when I was really young um I you know I used to say racial slurs all the time because I thought it was funny and mm-hmm. you know we were in this weird little like poor town in Kern County which is very Republican and conservative mm-hmm. my school was because we're all poor it was a lot of different um races all together mm-hmm. like a group together and then because we're in this conservative environment with conservative teachers and all this stuff like we would just call each other racial slurs all the time mm. and we're like well we're all if we're all racist jokingly towards each other then it's not racist which is a very like juvenile thing right thing and obviously we did not have any adults that were woke enough to tell us no <laughs> like so we were just all swimming in this weird pool and only until like you know i got out of there and i was educated by some wonderfully patient women of color like so mm. too patient <laughs> um Mm -mm -mm. you know was I able to you know break that but I think even like people of like my friends that are people of color they get kind of uncomfortable when I say like yeah until like five years ago I used to say the n-word and I feel really bad about it but I don't do it anymore because it's wrong Mm -hmm. and I think people get uncomfortable about that but I definitely am like I like I was I've deprogrammed myself yeah I've deprogrammed myself it's possible like you can do that and the only way I was able to do that was because someone was patient with me but Mm -hmm. I'm not making I'm not going to tell anyone that they have to be patient with racists or people that way right because another part of it was some people weren't patient with me Mm -hmm. and that's how I learned too is like the you know the people that were patient with me I was able to talk a little longer I was able to say things a little longer around them but Mm -hmm. the people that weren't patient with me I shut the fuck up real quick and I learned so I I don't know I think it's like you know but it's also like I can't if you're like a racist and you want to learn to not be racist anymore don't take the people that are patient with you for granted because that shit runs out like <laughs> right yeah yeah it, it eventually it eventually would that that's an interesting thing about sort of deciding when when to i don't want to use the word give up but for let's just say for lack of a better word or term give mm-hmm. up on people who aren't getting it yeah. um I know that, you know, ju- just like, like you, for the Caucasian members of my family, uh, my my British grandmother, she, Caucasian British grandmother, she c- collected um, gollywogs and other black memorabilia, Jim oh, no. Crow era memorabilia. And it would be in our in her kitchens like she would have the sort of like the mammy cookie jar that had like a mm-hmm. sh- like a black tar black face with the red yeah. and white polka dot dress and the head wrap and everything or the gollywog dolls that were just kind of uh, either sewed or crocheted or whatever around the house and I remember uh, thinking that they were strange not understanding if they were good or bad but but definitely picking up even at a young age that it was strange that it was my white Nana that had yeah. these things um, <laughs> yeah. because by that point my grandparents had been split up and so my you know the only time we saw my black grandfather was usually separate from her um, mm-hmm. so it was this weird thing of like you know she collected these black figures not only just in her household like with her her you know tchotchkes and stuff like that but like literally collected black people in that she had yeah six kids that were mixed race and you know darker skinned than they weren't ever going to pass as white and and barely in some cases passes biracial 
show because some of them were darker than others. Yeah. And and I'm sitting here thinking, is this, I mean, as an adult, I'm thinking, does she feel allied in some way because she has black kids that this is an okay thing? Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of her answers, when I finally did get old enough to understand it was strange and asked her about it, it's one of the few conversations I remember having with her about anything. And uh, I asked her why she had these things and then didn't she understand them to be racist? And she says, I couldn't possibly be racist. I've got black kids. So just oh, like, God. you know, just yeah. like your, your father. <laughs> Um, and you sit there and you think, no, because you say things about black people from time to time, you know, like, you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter that you had black children it doesn't matter that you it's not a pass to be able to be and do things as racist as you want. Exactly. Just because you have this thing. This is not a trump card to get out of racism. And, you know, I was too young, even though I was getting mature enough to understand that there was an issue here. I was still too young to be able to really voice what it was that was wrong with this thing. And, and I, I you know, even at 40, I'm not sure that I 100% still have a way to explain it. I just know that <laughs> in the pit of my stomach, when I think about these things or when I see these things, I, it, I am reminded of a, like, I'm, I'm reminded in my genetics. Like, I wasn't around in a time when the, when Jim Crow was very active or when all this stuff was going and yet I hear it and I feel this like physical pain from yeah. from these horrible things and when somebody dismisses it as well I can't possibly be racist because or blah 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 it's far more stressful to me in my experience of racism than an outright in front of your face confederate flag waving get out of my country racist like yeah I will take aggressive, I will take in your face, you know, aggressive to a degree racism with a lot more uh, resiliency than, than that subtle racist, because that one that kind of chips you down and breaks you down, you don't even realize you're losing your defenses. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And you're not arming yourself properly to deal with it. And in some cases you convince yourself that they're, they're allied, but, but troubled in a way, and you just need a little Mm -hmm. bit of work. But at what point does that little bit of work decide to be, you know, you're kind of a lost cause. I don't think I have anything left for you. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, not, it's not our job to educate them, although we are the ones that are told to educate and more so than people of color that are monoracial. Mixed race mm-hmm. people have this insane repu- uh, expectation placed on them that it is our job to end racism. As we become more of a mixed race <laughs> society, we are going to like once we're all mixed in 50 years, racism will no longer exist. Well, you know what? You're still a pheno- Filipino white w- woman. I'm still a black and Japanese white woman, we could decide that even though we're both mixed, I'm not cool with your thing and you're not cool with my thing. It's not mm-hmm. going to undo exactly, exactly. racism. Yeah. Um, and even to expect that is uh, insane. I don't know why anybody would think that. Like, it's just a pass. Like, I'm suddenly yeah. not going to have any kind of, you know, even as open-minded and as aware of as I am, the likelihood that something out there is going to initially put me on guard is, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's still there. Uh, And it's really, it's a real point of frustration for me because I don't know how to explain that to people and at the same time let them know it is not my job to educate them it is their job to educate themselves exactly um, it's this mix it's this mixed bag of a feeling of like i need you to know this stuff i need to stop being the one to tell you all the time yeah because i don't get paid for it i got other things to do. <laughs> yeah. um, you know like I, I just can't uh i just can't be responsible for this and it and it's it's really frustrating and i know you know you and i have talked about this before too of just oh well you and i are in a kind of a strange situation 
right? We're in this group. Um, you know, we're in class. Half of our group is Caucasian. Our teacher is Caucasian. The, this is a feminist-minded organization that we're taking this class at. And everything about it, the allyship, the openness is great. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, there are times in which I feel like the over over attempt to ally is very much a presence there. And I don't know if that's if that's rolled into kind of white guilt or um, or just like, I know how bad it is out there. So I'm going to I'm going to really cheerlead for you so that you really know you have a support group here. And it's this weird version of I appreciate it. And at the same time, I'm concerned by how much effort you're putting in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you kind of know what I'm what I'm talking about? I, uh, I feel you. Yeah, I feel you on that. I I think for certain people in the group, I'm definitely wary. I definitely feel like it's kind of like a, they're, they're, you know, I feel like it's they're trying to, um, they realize that this is a time in, in our society where, uh, there, I mean, it's not really, but they think it's a time in society where being white is like not marketable. It's not good. Yeah. And so they're, I think they're treading lightly and they're trying to show over allyship as a form of like survival for them mm-hmm. as you know, them trying to be like, look, I'm one of the good ones. Um, but I feel like there are definitely people within the group that really do mean it as encouraging and it's just like i think i think for it it just took a while for me to understand who was who because at first i think i'm always suspicious i'm always like and i think that's just like a survival tactic for us is to just be suspicious and be skeptical and -hmm. it's like okay i'm taking this i'm understanding this but i'm also aware that you know there might be like you know i might hear a crack in the bushes and it's like what is that you know Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and you know you have to be on your guard um and so I definitely think there are people that are trying to encourage us. And I think, uh, so you weren't here for this. You you and everybody else kind of went to Chipotle and mm-hmm. I was just sitting with our teacher for a bit and I kind of divulged, like I kind of just like had a therapy session with her and I divulged to her like um, why I had basically quit comedy or stopped doing comedy for like a long year, like a couple years mm-hmm. was because um, it was because like uh, a man basically like verbally attacked me in front of everyone in our small scene and mm. like on the mic on stage oh, wow. and um, no one in the room came to my defense and I thought they were all my friends. And Did they think it, this was like in an improv scenario and it was just a no, sketch that went too far? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. This was, this was somebody doing stand up and then I called him out on a really sexist joke and he uh. just flipped out on me. He flipped out on me and he, you know, he was saying all this shit and um, it was all men in the room. Like none of the women in the scene were there that night because they Mm. all have jobs all these dudes like as soon as i was like i'm tired of hearing this sexist bullshit every night right the the other dudes who i thought were my friends booed me they booed me Mm. and then that emboldened that emboldened the guy that was on stage to basically yell at me fuck women fuck feminism (gasps) fuck you and then all the guys were kind of like dude you need to stop like you need to stop saying these things that you went a little too far but nobody actually did that and so i left crying i left with my friend and um they and then everybody told me afterwards it was my fault they they were like well he he they're like you know he was wrong for sure but you shouldn't have heckled him while he was on stage that's not the rules of comedy Mm. and I was just so like and I did and you know I was young and naive and everyone was telling me to do it except for like two people and and of course those two people were women and 
Um, and so I did apologize to him and then he gave me a half-assed apology and then I just kind of like navigated under like, okay, we're good. But I was like, you know, dying inside. I felt, you know, wrecked and I didn't know what to do. And on top of that, you know, he was a black man and, you know, so he came at me with, well, I have to hear racist shit all the time. And I just listened to it and I was like, why? Why why do you do that? Like, why do you let it happen? He's like, cause that's how you're supposed to do. That's respect and comedy. And I was like, that's bullshit. And, um, so I was just really wrecked from that and I just didn't know where to go. And so I was Mm. like, kind of like telling, you know, our teacher about that. And, um, I think she just maybe really after that was definitely like, okay, I really need to encourage people here that they need to stay in comedy. Like, yeah, that this is safe. They need to, they, they have a, they have a plate, like this is a space where they can flourish and they don't have to like go, you know, into these awful toxic places. Yeah. Um, And I I think she's been great about that. I think, I don't remember if it was our second or third class where we basically did just have like a group. It was like an unintentional group. Yeah. section where we just started talking and yeah. that's when I kind of came out too in a way of saying like look I'm going I don't know why this is happening but everything I'm writing so far is race related because you know our climate is informing this for me yeah. I'm trying to process my pain through comedy in some kind of way I'm trying to show the ridiculousness of racism through something somewhat comedic or hoping that mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing and uh, I felt I did feel a turn in our group after that where it was yeah. just like you know we're you know this is not necessarily the time or at least not the space for the the dick and cum jokes type of thing that was kind of happening in the beginning and then it was shifting to like you know this is a conscious time but Mm -hmm. more than anything the theater in particular that we are at is a feminist inclusive you know racially inclusive genderly inclusive lgbt inclusive you know like they're making some real efforts there and even though majority of the people sort of involved are um are caucasian women Mm -hmm. i think they you can see the efforts in a lot of different areas and at least i feel like we can see it in our class um so i felt that shift then when it was like okay and so far I know I'm making people uncomfortable with some of the things that I'm writing, but I'm getting response Mm -hmm. and I'm getting uh, input where I wasn't expecting, honestly, I wasn't expecting the white people to be able to do it, to be able to comment on it. And, and I'm glad that they, that they have been able to put their ideas in there and also kind of know their, I always hate saying this term, but I I do kind of mean it like knowing knowing their place, like just saying, you know, I don't get this blah, 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 blah. And then give me that time where I can explain, well, this is why this is in there. Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. Um, But because I'm a white person with privilege, I didn't know that. So thank you for explaining that to me. You know, we Mm -hmm. have a little bit of that going on, which is great. Um, In the times when it's sort of overly enthusiastic, uh, that's when I get wary and I can't help it. It's our training, right? So they could be a hundred percent fully allied on board, but they know, they no more know how to navigate that 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 space of like being the allied the properly allied person then yeah. we know how to accept or receive the properly allied person we're always going to be like yeah you're you're allied now but and you're just waiting to figure out what the but is for each of those yeah. people you're waiting for the other shoe to drop you're like yeah. when is the <laughs> when when are you going to turn on me when is this going to be a bad situation um, right and i don't yeah. think we need to apologize for feeling this way i do think we need to talk about this more often and it's part of the reason why i want to do this podcast too is that i want to open up these dialogues for because i need it 
I assume mm-hmm. other people need it. I don't know that I'm necessarily going to... I, I know for sure, actually, I'm not going to have the answers to most of the things. I might have some answers or a portion of, of an answer. <laughs> um, but I need, the, I need to have these conversations because I need to... This is the part of the things that I need to learn how to process now. Like before, what I was learning to process was how do I identify as a black, Japanese, mm-hmm. and Caucasian <laughs> person who has experience... Who like grew up in, you know, on the border of North Long Beach and Compton and feels very black and not only feels black, but feels very like pro-black hood black militant mm-hmm. black but look yellow you know look mm-hmm. Asian, look, <laughs> yeah, look yeah latin you know i don't even blend into like I, I can't even just pass as an asian person or as a mexican person although people usually think i'm mexican here in la or if they do think i'm asian they think i'm filipino because everybody's decided that the filipinos are the mixed asians of the world and therefore yeah. if you don't look standardly asian you must be filipino Definitely. Um, and then uh, if i'm i say this all the time but if i'm on the east coast i'm dominican or puerto rican that seems to make more <laughs> yeah. sense to me because at least with the dominicans or puerto ricans the likelihood that there's some you know afro-latina-ness going on i'm like okay i can see why you would if you're gonna go somewhere i could see how you go there before you go to filipino yeah um, because i do have black features even though i don't have the skin tone i uh, i just feel like we need to we need to talk about this and we need to be messy when we talk about it too like yeah we, we don't it's messy. have the answers yeah we just need to kind of like, here's my feelings. Blech. It's all on the table now. Yeah. Now let's try to pick through this and figure out what, you know, what was going on, what's happening so that we can figure this out. And um, I like that we're doing this in a, in a way in which we're just talking. And from yeah. it, it's like, oh, you had that? Well, guess what? I had this. Yeah. What are we doing now? You know, like, let's try to figure yeah. this out. And it's not like a racial one-upping when when uh, when we're doing it. We're just like, oh, that happens to me, too. How mm-hmm. the fuck are we going to do with this? Yeah, what do we do? And it's like, did you figure it out? It's like, no. No. But, like, yeah, me neither. Let's go to our um, secret mixed people meeting next week and hash this one out. Um, definitely. Uh, yeah. when, uh, so, you know, I thought... Uh, I know you talked about this a little bit before where you were just like, you know, like, you're like, oh, you know, uh, you know, I found out my identity. Great. But then you're like, then there's another roadblock. And you're like, well, what the fuck? And you have yeah. to like start that process all over again. I feel like I'm at that stage now. Like That's where when at. I was in college, I was like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I'm definitely like, I'm Filipino. I'm a Filipino woman. I'm a brown woman. I'm a proud brown queer woman, blah, 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 blah. blah. Like, you know, I was like solid in that. Mm-hmm. And then now, now I've, you know, been but but I've been solid in that because I I realized because all the people I was interacting with already knew my background story like they already knew everything about me so it was easy for them to be like yeah you're Filipino why would I ever think of you as something else and so now I'm realizing like oh I am mixed race I am you know it's confusing for people and I was really paranoid for like like um you know I would be going to these shows not with my like I would be going to shows by myself that was like primarily black or primarily POC mm-hmm. and I would be going by myself and I didn't have, you know, like my POC crew with me right. to like basically show like, yeah, I belong here. I am brown. And um, so I was going alone and, you know, my name's just Marie and people think I sound white or, you know, whatever. And um, if they ask my last name, it's Watchkey, which is not like that's German as fuck. And mm-hmm. so... I'm pretty sure I have no way of knowing, but I'm pretty sure I was being clocked as white by 
other POC and then they were feeling suspect towards me, which Mm. I totally understand. But that just gave me this huge amount of racial dysphoria. And I was like, what? Like, am I a white person? I don't think I'm a white person. Like, I know I'm half white, but I'm not fucking white. Like, that's not who I am. You're right. And And you're you're kind of like, just as I thought I figured out who I am. Exactly. Now this is happening. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so... I still don't know how to feel about that. And also another thing too is it's like, yeah, like I don't get as much sun anymore. Like that's a real thing. Like some people <laughs> cringe when I say that, but I'm like, I'm not getting enough sun. Yeah. I'm like, if I, if this was me in high school when I was running cross country, bitch, nobody would think I was white. There was no yeah. way no I one would think I was white. same thing. And so, but I'm like, but I work a nine to five job. I'm depressed. So I just stay home all the time. Like I do not get vitamin D and mm-hmm. like, um, I don't get any like UV rays and, um, yeah. So like, it's, it's been like, it's just been really weird. It's been like tripping me out. But then I do know that like white people that I work with did not think I was white. Mm-hmm. So, um, cause I remember I like kind of came out as Filipino to people mm-hmm. and, um, a couple of people, um, one person came up to me and was like, you know, when you said, oh, I'm Filipino, by the way, you know, I was like, you might have, when you said, you know, oh, you might have thought I was Latina, you know, they're like, I just thought of you as a person. And they yeah. thought they were being funny and cute. And I was like, are, and in my head, I'm like, are Filipinos not people? Like, right. Like, you know, that's like, all you're telling me is that I still think you as an other. I just don't want you to know that I think of exactly. You as an other. And it's like, what are you? Yeah. It's like, are you literally saying that people of other races aren't people? Like, what are you saying <laughs> when you said that you thought I was a person? Like, and not anything else. And I just like, and I would, I asked somebody once because they were like, oh, I didn't know you were Filipino. And I was like, oh, well, what did you think I was? And they just got like so uh, nervous. <laughs> and they're like, oh, uh, 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 yeah, they're like, um, I don't, you know, I just thought it. And they said the same thing. I just thought of you as a person. And I was like, I was like, no, I'm not mad. I'm actually genuinely interested. Like as a mixed race person, I want to know what people think of me. Like, Mm. it's kind of like, honestly, I feel like it's like catching Pokemon. I'm like, ooh, did you think I was this? Like I got Guatemalan Uh. once. I never got that before. That was exciting. Like, um, but I mean, that's just my way of coping with it. But it's also like, I kind of, I'm like, do I have to just like wear a picture of a, like me and my mom together? on my chest all the time for people to be like oh you're Filipino like it's it's just it's really weird and I honestly feel like fuck Rachel Dolezal because I feel like now I can't trust anybody Thank you. and nobody Goodness can gracious. I can't trust I anyone fucking... and nobody can trust anyone else and so I feel like actual mixed race people are really like everybody's suspect now it's like, right so Rachel Dolezal is a whole thing for me and people keep telling me that I shouldn't be so upset about her and then they try to throw that, that term transracial at me and it makes me flip the fuck out because here's what the definition of transracial is a person of one race or culture that is adopted by people of a different race and culture Mm -hmm. and then raised in that different race or culture with no connection to their original race and culture so Mm -hmm. like in the late um 70s early 80s it was very popular for white families to go to korea korea in particular and they were Mm -hmm. adopting babies that were sort of the product of you know either like the military base uh, if you want to call them prostitutes or or Mm -hmm. you know just women that were trying to you know get by or whatever or or they were just you know in orphanages in general and then they were bringing here and they're being raised basically as white kids and so i actually know a woman that is is this she has her her legal name or birth certificate name is still her korean name but she goes by a different name you know like something that sounds more americanized or white
white or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up in the South, raised amongst and by white people. Uh, she does have another brother who was also adopted from Korea, but from like a different village, different, you know, the whole, the whole thing. But mm-hmm. when you talk to her, she's like, I don't think of myself as not white until either someone points out that I'm Korean or I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh yeah. So she yeah. even almost has like, like has a vision of herself as a white girl and that mm-hmm. seeing herself in the mi- in the mirror can be very jarring because yeah. she's created some sort of identity, some sort of white identity mm-hmm. based off of her upbringing. And so she doesn't get to feel like an Asian or she doesn't get to feel like she's part of the crew a lot of the times because she has such a different experience. And she is what is transracial, a person mm-hmm. who just wants to be black. Like here, I got issues, you know, even as an LGBT person, I have issues with it because one, she's just a white woman who wants to be black and she's appropriating the culture. And two, yeah. by referring to her as transracial, you're saying that trans people are just people who are pretending and or want to be this other thing that they exactly. aren't. Exactly, yeah. And so it completely like, it just completely ignores and erases what is happening for a trans person um, by grouping it in with this transracial thing. And I see it even on like, I'm on a group on Facebook that is uh, uh, like, you know, your Japanese American if, and then it's just a bunch of people that post about, you know, Japanese or Japanese American yeah. things. And, you know, it's an inclusive group. So sometimes there's like white people who are married to, you know, Japanese people or something like that. And they'll talk about, well, like, I'm more Japanese than my husband because I eat the Ugh. food and I do this. And you're just yeah. like, you want to smack them down. But at the same yeah. time, you're like, you don't you don't want to affect their allyship. You just want them to understand what they just did. And there's one in particular who I've seen her refer to herself as transracial. And I... Um, uh, or there's a couple. I remember one time I did say, oh, so you are a white person that was raised by Japanese people. And she's like, no, no, no. I just, you know, I'm really into the culture. I speak the language and I ended up marrying a Japanese person. I'm like, oh, so you're just a white person, not transracial then. And then I had to like link <laughs> nice. to the description and and um, Rachel Dolezal coming out the way that she did not only is a bad thing for in terms of people's perception of transness, but a bad thing for people's perception of, you know, it's ignoring the cultural appropriation of things she doing they're just like well just let her live her life meanwhile if a black person tried to do this or an asian person tried to live as white or uh, you know latinx person tried to live as white they would find ways of reminding them that they're not uh, exactly. white but we're yeah. just supposed to accept rachel and yeah and then she also makes hella money off of it that's how you know she's right white, is that she's right. making so much money off of this controversy and instead she, of being dead honestly it, and, and trying to sit there and like still use the, you know, use, be a drain on society. She tried, she applied for welfare. She did all this. She's making $88,000 at the time that she was on welfare and, and stuff like, you know, all based off of this cultural appropriation that she's doing. And then on top of it, they're like, oh, now we have a new nickname for mixed people. Oh, you're just a Rachel Dolezal. No, the fuck I'm not. Yeah, I, am, I, I have a black parent, a black and white mixed parent. I have an Asian and white mixed parent. I grew up in black neighborhoods but I look yellow, but I am still black. It's no less black. My identity in terms of my understanding of who I am ethnically and who I am, like I don't, what I don't know is who I am racially because I don't know how I'm perceived Mm. by other people. I don't know what people put on me. What I do know is that my ethnicities are black, Japanese, Irish, English, German. What I do know is that my cultures Mm -hmm. are black and Japanese. What I don't know is if you look at my face, what am I? Yeah. 
I can't really be determined racially because I'm not, you know, a binary black or white person. I'm not a clearly distinctly I show the features of Asians or I show the features of this. I my face is extremely mixed. I have almond shaped eyes. I have, you know, big luscious lips like my dad did. I have straight hair on top and a semi froish hair at the bottom if I'm in Mm -hmm. humidity. Like I am a properly mixed up person, like not mixed mixed race person. (laughs) Yeah. And and I make a joke about not being stirred all the way so that it's not evenly (laughs) blended because that's how I have the flat straight hair at the top and the, and the, you know, like kind of puffier hair at the bottom (laughs) or, you know, the almond eyes and stuff. Yeah. And so like, gosh, I get so, I can go off on her and I've gone on a couple little uh, Twitter rants about her and I've had some people go like, well, she's just trying to be her and live her life. And you know what? I'm just trying to be me and live my life too. And what I'm not doing is profiting off the pain of a, a race or an ethnicity or a cultural group. Because I can get away with it. That's exactly. what I'm not doing. Exactly. <laughs> I fucking hate this one. And it's like, like and it's also like how many like actual transracial people, actual mixed people, actual black people can profit off of their actual stories? Not a lot. Right. And then this white woman can pr- profit off of it because she's a white woman. Like I'm at a point, I think just because I'm so mad with society and the world and all these types of stories where I'm like, I don't think white women are oppressed. I don't, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Like, and also it's like your oppression, like, I don't know. I don't, I try to be all girl power and whatever, but I'm like, your, your, your tears are so valuable. Your tears are weapons. weapons. Yeah. Yeah, Your tears are like the most powerful weapons in the world. They can get so many people killed and just, you know, like, and it's so, it's just like, like, uh, anytime anybody tries to mention Taylor Swift to me, I'm just like, uh, like that is the, uh, I, I, uh, it's just like, she's, um, she's just like the epitome of white woman privilege and, uh, and the fact, like, she went on, like, the stage at the Grammys or whatever and tried to talk about, like, woman empowerment, you know, right. and, like, how we need to hire women. All of the producers behind her were men. There were no women on her, her team. The authors that won of the a Grammy lot of her, her work that she, like, the stuff that she doesn't write herself, of the stuff that she doesn't write herself, is all male. Exactly. She's the to. only person on that stage that was a woman. And somebody mm-hmm. tried to tell me, like, well, you know, the record labels, they kind of dictate who she works with. And I was like, she's Taylor fucking Swift at this point. Yeah. She's won yeah. so many Grammys. She has, she's making the millions of billions of dollars. Like, she's she can way dictate what she wants to do and who she wants to have on stuff, you know? Like, yeah. And she doesn't. And that's what she does. And also, she's been silent on so many political issues mm-hmm. um she's been so vocal about like women's wages and blah blah white women's wages and white women this and that and then mm-hmm. anything that has to do with race she's silent anything yeah. that has to do with anything she's silent. Well, but i don't know i'm sorry i'm no i don't the, know that's a point of woman, frustration in, yeah. our, in our in our um situation too because what what happens when you look at the list of otherness you see women and then you say mm-hmm. women of color okay yeah. are we less women just because we are also of color exactly um, say white women like that's say what, I, white that's what women. I want to scream i'm like it's not a like white it's not a slur it's just like 
uh, white is not a slur and don't try to make it a slur because but that's another thing yeah you know what try to make it a slur because that's how you say black that's how you say asian that's how you say latino like you say it as a slur and so that's why you're scared when you say white when we say white people I almost want to start whispering white in the way that white people whisper every other race, you know, without having a conversation, a perfectly fine conversation. Oh You're my just God, like, that's so, so funny. I was, you know, I was at the, the store and I ran into this black woman and then, yeah. da, 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 and you're just like, why did you whisper it? Because the fact exactly. that you whispered it tells me that you're racist. Exactly. <laughs> because you exactly. felt that saying it, something was wrong about saying it. And <sighs> oh it's not gosh. a racial slur. Yeah, it's not a racial slur. My favorite thing. Um, I used to study film, or I guess I technically still do study film uh, at my school. And just the amount of like white professors who would say this African American director from England. And I'm like, was he ever from America? If he right. was ever never from America, then he's not African American. Yeah, then and he's then, just a black English director. Like, he, just say black. You can yeah. say black. You can like, say black. It, it's fine. And here's the thing: is that so? When I was growing up, black was the term, and it was perfectly fine. And then I became a preteen, kind of early teenager, and the term African American started to be popular. And mm. I would always say, I'm not African American. One. I don't have any direct connection to the continent. Not that I don't know that my people like I'm ancestrally from from the continent, but I don't know where on the continent I'm from. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not European American. I'm not um, you know, I, I'm 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 British. Like my, my grandmother is from England. I'm mm-hmm. Caucasian British on her side. I, I don't really know like we say that my great my other grandfather was German Irish, Appalachian kind of folk, it's sort of a blended area. So I don't really know in terms of, of what he is yet. Mm-hmm. Um and so like, you know, I'm not gonna call myself Eastern European American or, uh, you know, a, a European American or anything like that. I'm black. I grew up black. I'm immersed in black culture. I'm black. Mm-hmm. I am doing the DNA test right now with an uncle of mine because the African test is a patrilineal or matrilineal. And since my father was black, uh, my uncle had to take the test from me because there's something to the white chromosome. And we will, in a couple weeks, we're going to find out from where from Africa our people come from. At that point, I, I will not be telling myself that, like, let's just say that it's Senegal. I'm not going to start calling myself Senegalese yeah. American or anything like that. I'm going yeah. to say I'm still black. But now I know where my ancestral connection to Africa is. Yeah. What I do claim is Japanese American or um, or Caucasian British American. Why? Because I know those women. Those are the, my mm-hmm. grandmothers. I've met them. I've lived with them. They are. They have been in my life. You know. My my nana is no longer in my life. She's still around, but we haven't been family for a long time. My Japanese grandmother also still around, still in my life. I I know who they are, so I mm-hmm. feel that I can claim Japanese or or Caucasian British just fine. But I can't claim Africa because one, I don't know where in Africa I'm from. Two. Mm-hmm. I don't have that connection. It could be 400 years. It could be 150 years. I would. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. All I know is that our facial features don't look like anywhere I've ever met from Africa. Yeah. S- skin tone, maybe. Facial features, no. Um, and when you can't, when an American can't go to any other part of the world and see black people and describe them as anything but African American, that like just shows me that you don't understand what it is that you're saying yeah yeah um you know like i think there's a i don't remember what show it was it might have been like the american office or something like that where it's like whatever what do you call your african americans here in canada Um, (laughs) you know like whatever the line was it was something like that and it was just like doesn't that 
question answer itself when you start to talk out loud like don't you get what, yeah exactly what happened you know um it, it's just a it's it's one of those things that is a little tangent that ends up being you know it's like pulling a thread out of out of an outfit you're just like you keep pulling you keep pulling you're eventually going to ruin the outfit so it's not <laughs> exactly. that big of a deal if you just break it off right then but when you start pulling at it it really does bother you um, definitely that's it, oh my just, gosh <laughs> um I uh, I kind of want to talk about really quickly just like like um being mixed race and Asian being a mixed race Asian person um mm-hmm. especially like since we're like in the entertainment industry um it's one thing that I've noticed that is just really like it's just made me insane is just like um how Asian publications that are like you know for the empowerment of Asian entertainers and like they're about Asian representation they do not they do not claim mixed race Asian people until those mixed race Asian people are in a cast with other Asian like full Asian people and um, this is like it's just something that's been like it like infuriated me and I was only really made aware of it because of Keanu Reeves and Karuchi Tran just because like um Keanu Reeves has been Asian obviously (laughs) like his whole life he's had a long-ass career and I haven't I literally heard nothing from any of these publications about his career until this new movie that's coming out where he's working with Randall Park and Ali Wong and um you know just a bunch of other Asian Mm -hmm. producers writers actors in it and so then they're like, and Keanu Reeves, our other Asian, like, you know, it's an all Asian cast and Keanu Reeves is there and he's Asian. And I was he's like, kind like, of Bruh. Asian. <laughs> and I was like, bruh, how come, why have you not been talking about him his whole career? And one of my friends was like, well, you know, his career hasn't really been that active recently. And I was like, I don't care. There has been nothing about him before then. And I was also like, you know, I was like, you know, when Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, when that like anniversary came up, I'm like, all these white nerd publications were all about it. And I was like, why is there no Asians like reclaiming all of these films he was in as an Asian American narrative? Yep. It's Asian American now. It's Asian American now. Like, why aren't we doing that? And it's it's funny. He was very white passing throughout most of my life, like, you know, because he he was big in the 80s and 90s when I was coming up and he was always yeah. like he was he was we knew he was Hawaiian and Asian and that he was he was mixed but it was always like he could just blend in with the white folks it was fine when he became yeah. a problem for me to figure out how to deal with him because he's an actor I really like I you know even to this day I still do um love him I, I love the jokes about him I you know everything I absolutely fucking hated that he was cast in the in Ronin because it was one of the few <laughs> times that it was an all uh, all or almost all Japanese cast it's a yeah. Japanese story it's based off of yeah. real life it's not a fantasy so before I was even deciding if I was going to see this I was mad that they made his character I was mad that one that they, he was cast in it and two that they made his character mixed race which is not the case in the real life story tale mm, and um yeah. and so i wasn't going to see it i certainly wasn't going to see it in the movie theater because i did not want to put my dollars into it so i think by the time i actually saw it it was just like already on hbo so yeah i mean i paid for it but i didn't directly pay for it so i felt fine yeah and then i see that they actually cast um you know that the chinese actress that uh from crouching 
tiger hidden dragon i can't think of her mm-hmm. name she's also a mem- memoirs of a geisha so she she's kind of problematic for me because she's like oh she's asian let's make her japanese for every movie in america because she's the only chinese woman mm, we're comfortable yeah. with and then they put like you know magic and a dragon and shit like that in in ronin and it's like you don't have to the story is fine on its own it is compelling <laughs> on its own yeah. the what the events yeah. that occurred yeah. during the 47 ronin is huge we didn't need the chinese mystic and the half you know ostracized mixed race person that that didn't need to play into the story we could have actually just had another japanese and so he is kind of a a sore spot for me because now he is they can do consider him mixed they weren't really focused on that in the 80s and that was because a lot of the asian actors could pass yeah so that's so yeah so this is really like i understand that it's a point of contention it's a point of pain and uncomfortability about like mixed race people and Mm -hmm. especially like mixed race asian people who are white so that's with keanu reeves is like you know he's he's white passing because if you're asian and white and if you're not like a darker asian like filipinos or Vietnamese people like it's easier to pass as white Mm -hmm. and so and especially like at when he was you know when his career was growing up and he was like really starting to be famous um it was probably really detrimental for him to be like i want to do an asian role you know it's probably easier for him to pretend to be white yeah get the roles yeah and that is that is my problem and i think it's just it's also just me being upset and wondering where my future is going to be talk so much about how i'm asian so maybe that's one of the deciding factors but it's also just like I I've seen other people like Olivia Munn. She's been in interviews talking about her Asian mom all the time. Yeah, and yet, and yet I she don't is considered see anybody white talking by fanboys. Exactly. She's people just don't know. And then that's another problem too is that like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get mad at the actors necessarily, but more at like casting directors and the production companies for you know like they have her as Jubilee, and it's like mm-hmm. Jubilee is not a mixed race Asian person. Yeah. She doesn't even look white at all in the comics, and yet yeah. they have Olivia. Mun playing her because no, Olivia Mun like, oh, played well, she's um, Asian. Psylocke. Olivia Mun. Oh, she played Psylocke. Psylocke. Oh, okay. I thought she played Jubilee. Um, no, she played Psylocke, but still, Psylocke's Asian and like not doesn't look like Olivia Mun in the comics. And um, you know what I mean? It's choose. It's it, it's obviously intentional. Like, let's choose a diluted for like, which is a terrible term, but a diluted Asian person to make it more palatable for white audiences, and then also so nobody can get mad at us because right. we did use a technically Asian person. And so there's a lot of pain with that. And I understand it's a really rough subject, but I'm just like, we need to start claiming our people. We need to start claiming our people (laughs) that are mixed race because one, I just want to be claimed. I want to be claimed by Asian people. I mean, representation matters across the board. And sometimes it's not just like, don't just represent me as whatever the other other is you decided for me. Represent me out there across the board. Barack Obama is not the first black president. He is the first African-American mixed race present he's literally african he is literally american and he is biracial let's call him what mm-hmm. he actually is i i was always frustrated with that kind of thing it's like oh yeah we were never going to get a black president we were going we, we needed a mixed race person first we're never going to get a fully formed full-blooded asian superhero or supervillain they well may, no we can get a supervillain uh we can't get a superhero because yeah. that's yeah. too it's too much that we they need to be mixed with white to be powerful yeah exactly and so that's like a weird like like it's weird for me as you know like as a comedian and and somebody who wants to be in the public eye and take on roles and stuff 
and mm-hmm. uh, it it's also just like it's painful like that's my uh you know that's gonna be my life that's gonna be my story right. at some point and then it's just like how it's like well I know how vacations are gonna talk about me but right. it's like it's I think it's also just painful to see like my community that I'm trying to get comfortable in that I'm trying to reclaim would not claim me until right. I was surrounded by other people of that community and given basically like the you're Asian enough um yeah go ahead so and we didn't actually get into that very much like how do you feel that you are received we, we're pretty clear on how any of us are received by our half white sides but how do you how have you felt you were received by other Filipino people coming up um I think well so it so when I was growing up, it was actually I was actually received pretty well by my community because most of us were mixed race because we lived near a military base. So everybody had, you know, like right. American dad straight up from the Philippines. Mom, re, you know, came in through the Air Force or the Army or whatever, settled down here. And we're all, you know, mixed race babies. Like mm-hmm. there was probably like one family that was actually like full Filipino. And then, you know, but they all knew each other. Like We all knew each other. All the aunties knew us like, yeah, you know all of us looked Filipino and like Filipinos are mixed a shitload anyway. So we're like, whatever, like you're Filipino. If you're like a 16th Filipino, you're Filipino bitch. Like that's how it works. So, (laughs) you know, I wasn't, I never felt like I wasn't Filipino around Filipinos, Mm -hmm. um, in my own hometown. But like sometimes there were a couple of times where like I would go out and if I would say like, Oh, I'm Filipino, there were some like, you know, people who were definitely like, Oh, cool. Great. I kind of got that vibe from you. And it was Mm. mostly like hoppas, other hoppas. Yeah. be like oh my gosh yeah me too and they're like oh my god that's so great and then we would connect on it but there were definitely some people who looked more filipino that would be like really i didn't even know and i was Mm. like why do you have to do that there was no reason for you to say that yeah like there's no reason for you to try to play this one up of like oh i'm more filipino than you you were totally invisible to me exactly and i also feel weird bringing it up sometimes because i'm like i don't know tagalog and so i feel like some shame about that and then um but but for the most part i think actual filipinos has it's been a lot easier to navigate than like asian communities although Mm -hmm. i have been like you know I've been I've been letting my anxiety and my fears run run my life so long Mm. I've tried to stop doing that and I'm like okay I'm scared I'm going to be rejected by these people but let me just go anyway so I've been going to some Asian events or Asian shows or whatever and if I declare myself as Asian people usually won't question it you know and they'll just kind of like I haven't really been interrogated by people um, sometimes I can see in their face that they're not a hundred percent sure. And then <laughs> feel like I have to like lay it down for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like, so I think that's been pretty, um, it's been pretty okay. It's just that I have a lot of anxiety about, about that mixed race thing. But I also think it's maybe, I think one, because I'm vocal about it, they appreciate that. Like, yeah, I feel like the community appreciates when you're vocal about it. It's when you have to hide it. And when you have to play, like when you, I think it's when you, um, align yourself with whiteness, that's when there's an issue. Yeah. Which I totally understand. In terms of the comedy world, though so actually asian women comics are 
starting to get a bit of a popularity. I mean, for the longest time, Margaret Cho was the only one holding it down for, Mm -hmm. you know, all Asian comics. And now we do have Ali Wong. And uh, there's a few others that are maybe not names, but you're you're starting to see them at shows when I go. I go to, um, you know, the top three places here in L.A., Comedy Store, Laugh Factory and on the improv a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's always, you know, there's luckily sometimes there are random, um, if not mixed white Asians, then, you know, another Asian person of some sort. And you're starting to like, okay, now we're starting to see Asian women as a possible uh, funny element. Like, you know, before that they were, they, you know, they were just sexualized or they were just um, uh, demure housemaid types. But now we can actually see Asian women as funny. Uh, But we're still only kind of looking at Asians. uh, I think American culture tends to only look at sort of the joke about the top three Asian groups, the Japanese, the Chinese, and the Koreans, and all other Asians are kind of like, uh, well, we don't really know much about you guys, so we'll just go ahead and you're the other yeah. ones. It's fine. Um, but in I think um, I think South Asians are really like holding it down too, like with Mindy Kaling and um, Aparna Nanchurla, mm-hmm. um, Aziz Ansari, you know, all of them, Kumail yeah. Nanjiani, like yeah. So like I think they're doing that, but I think that's another thing too is like Amer like white Americans and even like Asian Americans too forget about South Asians, right? And so they're like, you know, so it's weird. Like, I feel like they forget about them until they do something big. And then people are like, oh, yeah, they're Asian. We're claiming them now, too. Like, yeah, because before weird. that, they're Arabs or they're Middle Easterns. Like, right. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. pretty, basically yeah. always the thing you hear. Like you, you hear um, uh, not a part of uh, she doesn't talk about this as much, uh, maybe a little bit, but um, definitely. Um, oh, gosh, I'm spacing on his name. And you just said it. Kumail. Yeah. Kumail. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. He talks about this a lot of, of having to be like, no, I'm not Middle Eastern. No, I'm not Persian. No, I'm not, yeah. you know, da, da 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 He's like, I happen to be Muslim, yes, but guess what? We come from all over the freaking world. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the So when you're navigating a comedy space, though, I think you mentioned before, like, getting a chance where you got to bond with another... Uh, maybe Filipino com- comedian or sh- or she was mixed or something like that and you're just like oh I get to see you a lot now and we're gonna always be on the same thing because every time they need Asian comedians we're probably gonna be on the same list do you feel that in comedy as you're trying to find these spaces to to perform that you are tokenized or that you gravitate towards Asi- Asian comedian spaces or comedy spaces because it gives you uh, an audience with a context well, so now I really, it's interesting because I felt like in when I first started, I started in Orange County and I felt like I wasn't necessarily tokenized because it was such a small scene. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, whoever was there. And um, I think there was only one other, there were like one or two other Asian comics and they were both um, men at at the time and yeah it was just it was it was really the the one thing that was I didn't feel tokenized but I did feel like people like people came up to me and told me oh you know you kind of talk about being Filipino a lot and I just and I just want to be like oh really I talk about that a lot like (laughs) like okay but literally I just watched 20 other comics talk about the pains of being a white man dating in LA but nobody else is talking but but I'm the one who's talking a lot about the one thing that I have that's different than all of 
okay, whatever. Like, so that really made me upset. Um, but I feel like now that I'm in LA, like I'm really starting to get comfortable and I am, you know, actively looking for queer and Asian spaces because, so I guess I'm not really, I wouldn't say I'm tokenizing myself, but I'm trying to find my community because I feel comfortable. I don't, I don't feel comfortable anymore in like, uh, I guess, you know, like the open range white, male toxic environment right like i was really hurt in that environment and i don't feel comfortable anymore and i i feel like i'm like i know i'm good like i'm a real i'm a good funny person and i'm interesting i have an interesting story Mm -hmm. not a lot of people have and i have a lot of things to say so like i i can be a good comedian i can be a great comedian if I nurture myself and I mm-hmm. find, you know, a place where I can feel safe. Right. But it's, um, and, and I know, honestly, I know that if I, fa- if I, if I have to face another instance, like I just told you about, like another person just like eviscerating me in front mm-hmm. of everyone and no, mm-hmm. no one backing me up. I don't know if I'll recover from that. So. <laughs> Unless uh, and, you are in a safe space where you have people that are there uh, to jump in and help support you. Exactly. Like I, don't that's the thing is like I'm so afraid like I don't even want to go to a place where that might be the case like Mm. I really I really just like am keeping myself and trying to to find you know niche queer and um POC spaces yeah um well you can really see it because I just want to feel safe yeah when you go to like say the comedy store or something like that and there is a a POC comic up there and it's a majority white audience and there was an experience I had uh, a few months ago where Owen Smith, a comedian who's black comic and he is a writer or was a writer on Blackish and his set was for black folks and I was I was one of a few people that were laughing pretty hard but I was the literally the only person in the big room was the only person laughing when he was talking about um, women using like a silk wrap on their hair before they go to bed and what that meant as soon as he saw Mm -hmm. you know his partner put her head wrap on and like I could not believe I was the only person who could relate to that even though I don't necessarily need a silk wrap for my hair when I go to bed I am from that community I'm aware of what that means you know and all this other kind of stuff and the way he told his joke which I wish I remembered what the joke was more than I remember how I was the only person laughing at it um like I, I was thinking in that moment how brutal it is to be a POC comic or an LGBT comic or any other kind of intersectional thing and be in a predominantly white club, white audience and have to be funny, but either decide I'm going to be funny while telling my own stories and you, you audience, you're just going to have to deal with it or yeah. I'm going to have to adjust my ater- material just to get the laughter from a pr- pr- predominantly yeah. white, white room. And it's not like I haven't had that experience before, but with him, for some reason, it was really specific. Like, that's when I really realized, you know, a a POC comic has to work so hard to decide, you know, because part of the reason why comedians are comedians, I think, especially once, you know, like you and I who um, suffer from depression and and have other things uh, that we deal with um, on our mental health side, is that with being funny, it's, it's kind of a validating thing for us. It's kind of a way to 
put the pause button on our depression um, or our anxiety for a while. You know, like it's a distraction. There's there's so many. It's so layered what goes on mm-hmm. when you're kind of like a, a person that has these issues and then also is a comic. And, and you hear a lot about how comedians tend to be on this spectrum. Um, and if, if on top of that, you have to add that your material is only going to speak to a group, a small group, but you still want to try to get big. You still want to get your shit out there. You still want to be represented. So you have to eventually go into these spaces that may be uncomfortable for you. Like how fucking brutal that experience <laughs> Yeah. would be on a regular basis. So it makes sense to, oh my gosh, what a relief. I'm at a, a queer Asian feminist comedy night or I'm at a you <laughs> yeah. know, black comedy night. Like these, and it's even as an audience member, I feel that too. Like I used to go to Smart, Funny and Black a lot with Amanda Seals. It's like a game show for black comics and it's once a month and I would finally feel black. Like after my whole day of being yeah. at work surrounded by white people, I got to be in this space and feel black and it was like a fucking relief. And I was just yeah. an audience member. <laughs> Uh, you know, like not even yeah. thinking about oh. having to get on that stage and tell a joke, you know, as a mixed person to an audience of white people that are just like, I don't know how to relate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I fully understand why you want to be in those, those safe spaces and they probably help you armor up too. So that as you get more of a following and hopefully become, you know, more of a presence for that representation stuff that you can be in those spaces that are less, you know, quote unquote for you so that you can start to shake up things for other people, even as it's not necessarily your responsibility to do that. You know, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. everything we do is is like that. It's like, I want to do this because I want representation. I don't want to have to do this. You know, I don't want to have to break these ceilings and, and barriers down. And But that's what we kind of what do no matter what. Do it, yeah, um, I think that that's something it's really interesting is like I have definitely performed in front of white audiences like that's that's what my majority of like my I guess comedic upbringing was was performing in front of like very white audience for Orange County and um I think you know being mixed race and also like even though I'm mad at my dad now like you know he was my best friend for a really long time and he really influenced a lot of my comedy Mm. and and my sense of humor and so I don't like uh, I have this kind of saying where I'm just like you know I'm not two-faced I'm multifaceted like a diamond like I (laughs) you know and I'm adaptable I'm very much adaptable to different situations and that comes up for my upbringing is like you know well you know I got to act a certain way around my mom or I got to act and talk a certain way around my dad and just you know those two sides of the family so like I don't I mean, now I just don't want to to perform that much for primarily white audiences. Like, I'll Mm -hmm. perform in front of anyone, but it's like, I don't want to... I used to literally think, like, okay, well, if I'm... if You know, I can do this, this, and this joke for this audience. And then if, oh, oh, I'm going to this audience? Oh, my God, now I can bring out this material. Like, (laughs) um, you know, like, it's... it's, uh, I'm used to tailoring... For my whole life, I've been used to tailoring, like, what Mm -hmm. I say to the environment I'm in. But wouldn't it be nice if you never had to do that wouldn't you, it would be it nice would, if you're just a chubby white yeah. dude that can go on stage and talk about dating it would be not being able so to get a hot great. enough girl Cause, in la because <laughs> there have been some times where i'm you know i'm like i'm like fuck it i'm just gonna say whatever the fuck i want and i've done that in front of a white audience and then met been met with backlash been met with people saying stuff to me while i'm on stage and like mm. one night i was just like fuck it i don't you know i'm just gonna say whatever the fuck i want and the whole night right in front of me was this chubby white dude and his Filipino um, and all these other dudes went up and they would say racist weird racist jokes 
um, like, I guess, friendly racist jokes about them together. Mm. And the woman felt so uncomfortable the whole time. And this dude right. just kept going like, <laughs> right, honey, right, honey. Mm. And I was I was just so triggered. I was like, oh, my God, these are my parents. And like I went up yeah. on stage and I even said that I was like, hi, I'm your daughter from the future. And, you know, they laughed at that. Um, and then I kind of told the woman, I was like, you should run. Like, you need to leave. Like, it's mm. not going to end up well. Like, and yeah. she was kind of uncomfortable with that. But he was more uncomfortable, you know, sure. like he was way more uncomfortable. And then I think I went and and honestly, it was a pretty mixed room. It was literally just like two white guys in the front and maybe like a smattering of white dudes in the back. But, you know, they I feel like as soon as one person, one white person comes into the room, especially if they sit in the front, they dictate the whole night. Right. They're, they feel vocal. They feel like they are in charge still. Yeah. Even if they're outnumbered. And, you know, I basically said, I was like, see, this is why I can't date white dudes. I, I don't I don't want to do it. And like, I, it wasn't even funny. I just kind of went on a rant. And this mm-hmm. guy in the front just said very loudly, well, I hope you don't speak for all Asian women. Ew. And I was like, no, I, what? I was like, what? I was like, are you stupid? Of course I don't fucking speak for all Asian women. That'd be, do you speak for all white men? Because I hope right. you don't, because that's why I don't date white men. If you do, then that's why I don't date them. Mm-hmm. And people laughed at that, but it was like, if I was just in a POC room, I wouldn't have had to go on that. You know, I wouldn't have right. had to go on that rant. I would have had to deal with that heckler. I could have just said, I don't date white men, and people would have understood. Yeah. And, and honestly, it doesn't matter what kind of POC you are or even what kind of mix you are in a POC space. We all have this like unspoken understanding and agreement in those spaces where it's exactly, majority yeah. us where it's just like we get it whatever your thing is we have a version of it too so we get it go ahead yeah exactly so it's like I think that's the thing is like I, I just I just spent so many so long trying to you know it's like trying to having to explain my backstory having to explain my history having to explain well why do you feel this way about white people blah 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 and so then to just go into a space with and not have to explain anything not to have to have any give any background information is just so freeing like oh now i can explore now i can finally you know move out of the you know um the what is that called in a video game the tutorial now i can move out of tutorial (laughs) and i can go on to the next level you know what i mean like that's what it's like working in a poc space is Mm -hmm. because i feel like in white space it's like okay i gotta go up on stage i gotta explain to everybody what kind of race i am i gotta tell everybody this this and this you know but if i go to like like i had a show called i was on a show called filipino af and did want to talk about being filipino but i could you know and i did do the whole like i'm mixed race here's a little bit about that but i didn't have to spend the whole night talking about that like i was able to talk about more advanced stuff about my experience as a filipino woman where i feel like in white rooms i do have to spend the majority of the time talking about my white dad because that's how i'll connect with the audience right which i I don't mind it and it's it is a part of my identity but it's nice to venture outside of that yeah you have to lay so much context for people when you're in a white space that you don't really have to that blanks are just filled in um when you're in a POC space of any kind. Yeah. Why don't you let everybody know how to connect with you so that they can seek out your comedy and everything like that, your social media, anything you got coming up? Yeah. So um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at depressed on T all one word. And then auntie is spelled a U N T Y. I don't do the I E and um, yeah, that's where it, like you can find out about any of my shows from that. Probably mostly from Twitter is where I'll like put up new shows and stuff. But yeah, that's that's about it yeah all right thank you so much for coming on with me i just enjoy you as a person and and i see 
I, I see you because I was a version of you at your age, you know, <laughs> like I dealt with yeah. a lot of the same type of things, you know, my versions of them, but like, I, I get it. I, I get where you sort of where you're at. And I see, I see the, I just see the experience. I, and I see that need that like we all kind of have when we're trying to, when we're, when we're flipping back and forth between understanding who we are and then, Oh wait, this happened. Now I don't, um, now I got to do this all over again. Like I, I remember feeling that way. And to a degree, I still have that. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.